All right. Welcome back, everybody, to Surviving Hollywood Podcast. I'm Austin. I am Aaron. And I'm Johnny Ray Diaz. And we just had a great guest. Right, guys? Cameron Benz. Awesome uh, guest. The man, the legend. He is a network TV director, huge comedy guy, and one of our white whales. We've been chasing this guy for a long time. Johnny and I, uh, when we were taking our short film, Papua, through the festival circuit a year and a half ago, we met this guy at the NoHo Film Festival. He was a speaker. Talking oh, we about didn't what... meet him officially, but he was at a panel. Yeah, well, he was getting hounded as soon as he got off stage. So we hit him up through, we slipped in his DMs uh, the next day and we, and we talked him there. But great guest. What did we talk about? Um, well, I really liked, it's about halfway through when Johnny asked him, hey, you know, a lot of filmmakers listen to this podcast. How does a director get representation? And he just chuckled and he said, my story is not the same as everybody else's. And he goes on to talk about how he basically met Adam Sandler and was in meetings with Adam Sandler and Adam Sandler helped get him represented in a way, you know, it's, it's no, spoilers. no spoilers, yeah. no spoilers, but that's a good tease though. Good tease. Um, dude, I really like talking to pay to payment because first of all, dude, he mentioned the Seinfeld hat dude, was a huge Seinfeld fan, likes curb. And, uh, he likes a lot of things we like. He, dude, he's, I can already tell we would get along. Um, but one of the things he got into for a little bit that I was really interested in was uh, he actually directed a couple episodes of Who is America, um, which I love that series with Sacha Baron Cohen. It's one of the most funniest things I've ever seen. Like that dude is brilliant. Um, and he kind of, he couldn't say too much, but he kind of got into the process a little bit of how that show happened, how he, get, he got involved. And uh, that was, I thought that was one of the most fascinating things. Before we tee it off, I want to say two things. First off, this isn't sweat. This is how the shirt is permanently stained. If you see Liar. this during the conversation. And second of all, Payman has a show that's already out streaming. It's called Robbie on Comedy Central. You can find it on their website or on YouTube. Check it out. Really funny, really deadpan comedy. Robbie out now. And yeah. Any filmmakers, it. you guys are gonna love this one. Roll it. So Austin and I are twins, but I decided to wear the beard so you wouldn't have any trouble. Oh, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so how's it going? How's lockdown over there? Uh, it's it's all right. You know, I'm just I'm I'm so used to like do like doing nothing when I'm not shooting that like I'm fine. <laughs> um, I'm I'm used to doing absolutely nothing. Um, so it's all good. I mean, you know, people are paying attention for the most part here. There's a little, there's some people that are acting a little sloppy, but. Um, Let's name names. Let's name names. Well, where oh, are you? It's just neighbors. I'm in Los Angeles. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Where are you guys? Where's everybody? We're in WeHo. I'm in okay. Koreatown. Oh, nice. Okay, everybody's out here. I'm in like uh, Tuluku Lake NoHo, like in that, that zone. Perfect. Nice, nice. Uh, Hot today. Yeah, it's freaking terrible. I luckily got the dog out like a second ago. So the reason I'm looking down is I'm just trying to download something for a friend real quick. I love my wife. I love my wife. What's up with that noise? Oh, Jesus. I think that was him downloading something, right? Or we watching something? It says a pre-release of Robbie. What's going on here? Somebody loves their wife. Okay, sorry about that. It's all good. I just, one of our, one of the actors in the show, Robbie, was asking for a clip that he did. Rory. 
us. So were you guys were you guys still shooting that when this whole thing went down, or was it already wrapped up? No, no, we man, we I think we finished shooting. Um, God, last June. It, it was a while ago. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. Uh, let me just. I'm going to send this to the sky. I mean, I have nothing else to do. Nice. <laughs> no worries. Like a true comedian. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. Um, yeah, we got done. We got done like in June, and um, I mean, is, is this? I know every podcast is a little different. Is this one? Are we starting already or not yet? Right now. <laughs> okay. It's it's a super conversational, so we just kind of let it go where it goes, you know. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I uh, wait. Is your do you have a Seinfeld hat on? I do. Yeah. Dude, I literally almost wore a Seinfeld T-shirt to this. That would. <laughs> Dude, you you should have. I was hoping you would. I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. We just pretend that we we got them as rap gifts on on set. Oh, cool. Uh, um, it's the best. Yeah. So yeah, we finished Robbie like last June, and then we finished post. Gosh, sometime in the fall. I have no idea when that was. Um, and then yeah, and then it's just it's dropping tonight. <laughs> so so for, for the folks at home who want to watch, what is Robbie about? So Robbie, it stars uh, Rory Scovel, uh, who's a stand-up comic, and um, the idea is that he is, uh, his dad has been the legendary basketball coach in town, and his dad's played by Bo Bridges, and uh, Rory's character, Robbie, has always wanted to be like his dad, uh, but he's kind of a a screw-up, so uh, he coaches like a church league basketball team, like of kids that like don't know how to even dribble. Um, and he works at like an ice cream shop. Um, and then he's basically trying to get his dad's job, old job in the pilot. And then um, his ex-girlfriend played by Sashir Zamata pops in and uh, gives him a very big surprise. Uh, and yeah, the cast is amazing. It's Rory, it's Bo Bridges, it's Sashir, it's Mary Holland. Um, it's, yeah, it's amazing. It's eight episodes. Um, the premiere is tonight after the Daily Show. Oh, that's a good lead-in. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah, like at 11.45 really cool. now. I think that's – it's like 45 minutes right now, that show. And then immediately after, the whole season will be on um, YouTube and I think a couple other places. But I just say YouTube because it's the only – it's the easy one. Um, so, yeah. But it's a, it's very funny. It looks great. Our DP is unreal. It's Carl Hersey who shoots Black Monday. And we shot Last Man on Earth together. And uh, did that uh, did that cast come with um, Robbie, or did you help get some of those main guys and girls? We, I mean, no. The, the only the only person that was attached when I came on was was Rory, and then um, you know, Bo was like, I think one of the first. I think Bo may have been like in the first batch. We were like, no, Bo Bridges isn't going to do this. Um, and then he locked in, and then we looked at a lot of people for Sashir's role, but like. To be honest, like we were comparing everyone to her, so we were always like, "Yeah, this person's good," but Sashir is like so good. Um, and then, yeah, Mary Mary was one of the later choices, but we've all been like fans of her. I was one of the only ones that hadn't worked with her yet. Um, but yeah, it, so there was nobody cast when when I came on board. But I came on board like three four months before we shot it. Like I, I came on pretty late. Okay. Did you direct all the episodes or just the pilot or? Uh, I did the pilot and then I was producing director. So I directed in the end five of the eight episodes. Um, 
but I was there the whole run. Cool. And if you direct the pilot, if you direct the pilot, uh, you really like get to shape the look of the show, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, you know, something I've been wanting to do for the last few years was like really form like the, the visual tone and look of a show. And uh, they kind of just let me do it. Like I went in and met with them and I was like, here's what I think the show should look like. And they were like, yeah, that's it. That's what it should look like. And then when Carl, the DP read the script, he saw it the same way I did. And then uh, there was really no pushback. We were all like always on the same page, like our showrunner, Anthony King and our EPs were Owen Burke and Betsy Koch. And it was like, and Scott Moran. And we were like just a unit. Like, I don't, I don't know if we, ever had a disagreement on set it was really it was really special that's gotta be the best if you if you start you said you kind of got it brought in late though is there a reason like why initially did you kind of come across this project or like why did it take so long for you to come involved well they they already had it in development and then i think their last step was like find a director okay. uh, you know some shows come with one attached they didn't have one attached and then um i I must have been through my agent. I think my agent was like, hey, there's this Rory Scoville pilot um, that Gary Sanchez and Comedy Central are doing. Do you want to read it? And, you know, I'm a basketball nut. So like two pages in, I was like, oh my God, this is a comedy about basketball. And also like my dad was a soccer coach growing up and he reminded me a lot of Rory's, uh, Bo's character. And there's elements of Robbie that I connect with that my brother kind of reminds me of. My brother's like a tennis coach. So he kind of did what my dad did. Um, and when I pitched them, I was like, guys, I know this life. I know this guy. I know exactly what all his flaws are. Um, and then, and then that was it. We had one meeting and then from what they told me, like after that meeting, they didn't want to meet with anybody else. And then, nice. uh, and then, uh, and then it was just convincing the network to, let them not meet anybody else before they <laughs> so uh because that could be a risk but yeah so, so i came I, I came on late but it was came on late, yeah big yeah. basketball fan so go lakers right oh my god <laughs> <laughs> but no <laughs> i'm not that no, we, we know you're a clippers fan but I really you know, have my, my pack yeah, there it is oh uh, okay There's i'm a huge i'm a huge basketball fan too to be honest with you actually i hate the lakers oh. um but <laughs> Bless you. But I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Suns fan because I'm from Arizona. But it's oh. it's trust me, it's even worse. It's even worse. I, yeah, listen, I have respect for anyone that hangs on to their team. It's like when people are go make fun of me for liking the Clippers. I was like, do you want me to be bandwagon? I don't know what you want from me. Like, is loyalty good or bad? I don't understand. Yeah. No, I have nothing to do with what they do. Like I'm yeah. just cheering for it. Who cares? I hate when people are like that because they're like, do you own the team, man? You're not the owner. Like, why are you so, you know? Yeah. Is there, are, you, are you from L.A.? Is that why you're a Clippers fan or, or what's no, the reason? No, no, no. I'm, I'm from the uh, Silicon Valley, like the Bay Area, but I just never liked the Warriors growing up. I just like basketball. I didn't really like a team because I grew up in the MJ era, so there was no point in rooting for anyone because you're like, well, that guy's just going to win. Right. Are you watching The Last Dance by any chance? Oh, yeah. Oh, my Dude, God. Dude, that's amazing, right? I, I mean, I'm watch. I'm – recording it and then watching the episodes two or three times as the week goes yeah. on because it's, it's so nostalgic man like it's so good man yeah it's it's really special but then yeah i moved down here and then i was able to afford clippers games so i would go to them and they were really bad and then i just love underdogs and like never really you know I, the lakers were already a dynasty they were winning titles when i was here so um 
It's like you don't you can't pick the dynasty. You got to pick the underdog. That's just like, totally. That's, I relate to the underdog. I feel like especially as storytellers, if you don't root for the underdog, like what story do you want to tell? Well, we're from the Cleveland. We're from Cleveland, and that's why we're Cleveland's fans. But since LeBron moved over, I root for LA as well. Well, that's fine because it's a connection. <laughs> we have a connection to them. Yeah. Like basketball is the one sport that I think you can follow a player just because like one player can make such a big difference. Um, and at this point, every player will be on every team within ten years. So there's like. Yeah. There's no. I know it's, it's it's shifting so much. Yeah. You need to buy jerseys anymore. It's just like a total waste. It's just like it's yeah. <laughs> now, so that's cool that. You, go ahead. I was gonna say when you came to LA, did you come to be a director? Was that always your path? Yeah. Well, I my, I came here wanting to write and direct, but I didn't. You know, I knew that it wasn't like super likely that it was gonna happen. So. Uh, as long as I was going to end up in comedy, I was going to be fine. I was like, if I end up being a writer or an editor or even a producer or even like an executive that, you know, greenlit comedies, I would have been fine. Even though, I mean, I am creative. I, I'd want to make stuff eventually, but I came here to write and direct, but I knew that, you know, the odds were really low that I was actually going to be able to do it. What um, are your influences like growing up? Which comedy actors or shows did you like? I mean, Sandler was probably one of my first heroes growing up. I feel you. Um, and those then... Are, those are great. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I was just a, a huge comedy nerd as a kid. I watched Cheers in second grade. And I would get okay. it... I remember I was explaining one of the episodes to a friend, and my teacher was like, sorry, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, oh, Cheers. She's like, you're not supposed to watch that show? And I was like, dude, it's so funny. <laughs> uh, and then, like, in seventh grade, I was watching Science and like no, all my friends are like my dad watches that show why do you watch it <laughs> um and i just you know i could make kids laugh so then i just it it became about like figuring comedy out um so i was obsessed with comedy from like a very early age and i'd come home from school and we had a local channel that would show like like black and white stuff they would show old like lucy and like uh, Laurel and Hardy uh, like uh, bits and I would watch that stuff every day after school and then I just realized I was nerding out on comedy so I knew that whatever I was going to do was going to end up in comedy I didn't realize it was directing until you know like five years before I moved out here. Mm. Uh, did you ever do stand-up comedy while you were kind of exploring? I did a little up in the Bay Area but it was like mostly like open mic stuff for like less than a year and it was fine it was, I didn't kill, but I didn't bomb. Like, but every comic that I met was so depressed. And like, everybody was like, oh, wait till you have a drinking problem. Wait till you have a drug problem. And like, <laughs> I knew comedy as a comedy fan. I didn't really know the sad clown. I didn't know that side. So I was like, why are these dudes so sad? Like, I thought we were making jokes. And then I started learning more and I was just like, oh, this is like, there's a lot of depression that comes with this job. Um, and I couldn't get over the anxiety of like, you know, the, the 24 hours before a performance, even if it was an open mic, yeah. convincing myself not to go. Um, Do you remember your first set? Yeah. Joke? No, was I remember the first joke. It was like. Or premise. Oh, I'm sure it was like, it was a joke about sex, even though I knew nothing about sex. Those, those are the best jokes. Yeah, I mean, it was bad. I was like 21. <laughs> There's no, I would be so, I'm so glad that I threw everything away. 
Uh, you were like, oh, it feels like sandbags, like sandbags. Yeah. It's like, like right, what? Right, guys? <laughs> guys, you know how you can never get erections ever? Hello? <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, so I tried that and then I was like, no, maybe I'll write. I'm going to write. I'm going to be behind. I'm going to write because I realized that what I would want to do on stage was telling stories. I wasn't really like a joke teller. Like I like saying funny things, but I wasn't like, you know, I didn't understand set up punchline. It was just like, uh, let me just tell a funny story with a bunch of funny like anecdotes in it. Um, and then I was like, yeah, that's what I'll do. And then my best friend growing up, Bob, one day was, I was at his house and he was, oh no, he was at my house and I was working on something. And then he was watching the Big Lebowski and I looked over right during the bowl, the first bowling scene with John Turturro, like licking the yeah. ball and the, um, Gypsy Kings Hotel, California. You know when you tell your origin story to someone, you're trying to find different ways of wording it because it plays like a song in your head. That's what I'm struggling with right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, I always <laughs> tell the story the same way. Um, but, uh, and I, all the way through the eight-year-old's dude, Pederast, like that whole ending, and I had just never seen um, visual comedy. I was just used to like, you know, with the, the, the Fairley brothers and Sandler stuff, not that there was nothing right, visual right. in those, but those are comedy. Those are just comedy. Just slapstick kind of fun, yeah. Yeah, and and I was like, what? Like, look how technical this is. And it's so, and the technical is what was so funny. Like, the editing of, like, when the beat drops and he starts dancing in slow motion, it's, like, barely off. And it's so funny that it's barely off. Um and I was like, what is this? He's like, the Big Lebowski. I was like, you can do this? And he was just laughing at me. He's like, yeah, this is the um, the Coen brothers. They made like Fargo. And I was like, wait, Fargo yeah. was funny? And I like, because I, <laughs> like, I thought anything nominated wasn't funny. So, right. um, so then that was it. I was like, all right, well then I'm going to write and direct because that's what I want to do. And then I realized looking at my old notes that like everything I had written was super visual. I just didn't consciously know what a director was like i probably thought a director and a producer were the same thing at that point but i would look in my notes and i would write things like do a scene in a movie where blank 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 and there was like nothing it was literally i was writing shots before i even really knew what that was um and then it just totally made sense and then i was like i'm gonna go to school and i looked at like the academy of arts and i was like i don't want to be around a bunch of pretentious like jackasses and then i was like san francisco state's too far away san jose state's down the street and i don't want to drive long so i called them and i was like do you guys have cameras that the students can check out and they were like yeah and i was like great so i applied and then i already knew enough i knew at that point that it was up to me to just make stuff and learn on my own so the fact that they had cameras was kind of all i needed and then once i went it was like I was like, oh my God, I'm home. That was it. Uh, did you go, did you move to LA right after you graduated? No, probably about, um, probably about a year and a half. I had like an office.com job for a bit after. Uh, and I was, you know, still shooting short films with my friends and I had had a couple of things in festivals. And then there was just a day where I was like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. And I went to my boss and I was like, uh, I'm going to give you a one month notice. I'm going to move to LA. He's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I'm just going to figure it out. It was just time um and then that was january of 06 so it was like mm. a little over 14 years ago um so i took a 
a big, 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 big leap of faith. Really, I knew nobody down here. I had one buddy that I went to college with that was like editing trailers, but that was it. Um, so how do you meet? Like, how do you get a job as a director? Like, is it who you know? It's, I mean, it ends, I mean, it ends up being that way, but like, you know, like for me, I, the, the first job I took in LA was for this company that's not around anymore that, so this is, gosh, 06, 07. So this is before the iPhone. Um, there was a company that would film stand-up, like stand-up sets locally, and they would make, um, they were calling them web series, but they were really like refillable sketches where, you know, one location, same bit kind of over and over again. Um, and I would, so I was working in the office programming. So basically what I did was I looked at, stand, I got the stand-up clips and then I chose what Sprint users would see that week. I like with Verizon users, it was literally just technical. Mm. But I would have to go to the stand-up shows, and, like set up the camera and like pay the comics and, and go to the shoots and just be crew. And meanwhile, I'm shooting my own stuff that's like, you know, getting decent viewership online and I'm in festivals and my boss doesn't know or doesn't care. I just didn't really care to talk to him about it because I knew he would find a way to get me to do stuff for free for them. And also they weren't making anything good. Um, and then uh, one of the guys I worked with after a couple of months was like, hey, do you want to come to the improv? Like hang out with my friends tonight? And I was like, sure. And then I went to the improv and met like Nick Swartzen and a bunch of other comics that were in his circle. And then, you know, within a month, like Nick asked me to shoot a last second sketch for him that we played at the improv and then it went online and did really well. And then suddenly comedians just started hitting me up and asking me to shoot stuff. But at the same time, I had my own stuff that was starting to get viewership online. So when I would meet comics and they would look me up, they'd be like, oh, I've seen your work before. And then- um, What was one of the more notable ones? Maybe we've seen it. Because um, we're huge fans. Yeah, I don't, man, I'm trying to think. I mean, there was, boy, there was one sketch that I did with this guy that starred this kid, uh, Tyler Spindell, who's a director now, um, called I Love You. And it's very simple, it's very broad. It's him and um, this girl, Fiona Gubelman, who's in that show, The Good Doctor now. It's a very, very silly, I mean, honestly, if I think about it, like maybe a little problematic sketch, uh, but we made it in 2008 and it was on Valentine's Day on the front page of YouTube. And oh, nice. the first time we got on the front page and that's when the front page like meant something. Like when people <clears throat> would go on the front page and they would get flown out to LA the next week. Uh, well, now it's all curated by YouTube. Well, yeah, now, and it's all, yeah, it's all algorithm. I mean, they used to have people, like that's when I was getting confused, they had people there that would actually watch the stuff. Um, now it's just a bunch of people manipulating the algorithm, like stealing money from YouTube and YouTube doesn't even know what's happening. Um, uh, but that's a whole other story. But oh. uh, <laughs> yeah, we did this video and it gotten like view, a bunch of views and then just like, there was just other crazy sketches. I did a really dumb video where I was making fun of, those videos were like, someone will be like, I do a hundred impressions in like five minutes, but like 10 are good. And then some of them are like, nah, you're just kind of copying. So I just, without even thinking about it, made a sketch called 50 Perfect Impressions where I'm very cocky and I'm doing terrible impressions for about a couple minutes. And it, they're, they're very bad. Um, but it ended up being on like Attack of the Show and like, then getting all that, like, like to this day, people still like email me with quotes from that. It was so crazy because we put like no thought into that thing. It was just really more of a reaction to the stuff that was online. 
which is probably why he did better because we didn't put any thought into it. Uh, uh, and then there was just the, the stuff that I had had in festivals that wasn't online. And when I would show it to these comics, they would be, you know, they wanted to start working with me because I, you know, there was a lot of people putting stuff out in those first couple of years of YouTube, but like we had, a, I had a DP, he was really good. And like, mm. so I was making funny stuff that like looked good. It was lit well. It wasn't just like everything blown out or one bounce board or like whatever, you know, that look that was very familiar in like the late, you know, 2000s. It was cinematic or it was more cinematic. cinematic. Like that was always like the thing of like, the, the, it was always like make stuff look and feel like the stuff you want to make later because that's the only way people are going to know what you like how they know what your style is um which is ultimately what led to me like abandoning the whole idea of youtube at one point because once the youtuber world started forming i was like sorry what is this like i thought we were just distributing on this website this is we're pretending this is what we wanted to do the whole time because like the same kids that were doing it were being like man screw hollywood but then hollywood will call and they would like go running like <laughs> right away you're like well, just be honest like we all want to do it um but i just was seeing so much like it what it didn't feel like it was about quality it felt like it was just about hey you made something you should be proud of yourself pat yourself on the back instead of like what could I have done better? What was wrong with that one? Like, you know, I would shoot stuff that I wouldn't even put out. Like once I would cut it, I'd be like, yeah, this isn't good enough. I'll just put it away. Mm -hmm. And I wish there were more, more of that on YouTube. <laughs> Where people just, just shelve it, man. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just, I just, I just never stopped shooting. And I think, you know, I was also lucky to be here at that time when like, YouTube was really, you could get seen on YouTube. The, court, the, the, the studios weren't making stuff for YouTube yet. Like not even close. They weren't even watching the, you know, they weren't even on the website. But I was also here when like Funny or Die was coming up and College Humor was a thing. And- um, The original College Humor, so funny. Yeah, like there was some really, I mean, they were just producing really good stuff. And like, and so your stuff was getting seen. Like even if, if my stuff wasn't getting like millions of views, I knew that industry was watching my stuff. Like I knew that if I was featured on Funny or Die, the people that would eventually hire me were looking at stuff on that side. They were not on YouTube, like sifting through everything. So, um, so I, you know, I got very lucky with the timing. And then also it was like this renaissance of sketch that then led to all the sketch on tv of key and peel and kroll and schumer and all that but there was so much online in those like three or four years so there was just tons of stuff and like everybody had a script people were constantly sending me stuff to shoot and then i just abandoned writing at one point i was like these people are way better writers than i am i'm just <laughs> gonna shoot their stuff um was uh was key and peel like one of the first major things i guess that was later um well, I guess no, what, was the, well, what was the first thing that you were let's you got hired for that you in your mind you were like okay this is another level because i see you've done tosh i've seen you done like tons of stuff yeah well tosh was it's so weird that they gave me a credit on there because they just they would pick like um they would just show a sketch that they would find online like once yeah. a week or whatever and then i i just had a couple sketches that were on there oh uh, okay so I actually had nothing to do with the show. It's just like, I feel bad. I've had people hit me up to ask for jobs on that show. And I was like, I really have never. Do you, get a, do you get residuals for having a credit on that show? No, because I think Tosh does a thing where they only show like, like the minimum amount of a thing to where they don't have to pay people. Like that gotcha. show is low budget. And I think they, I think they kind of dance around the rules a little bit. Um, but so what was the first? 
Yeah, go ahead. The first thing was like, I mean, the, the first gig I had was like legit gig was um, about four, almost five years before, after I got here. No, 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 almost four, almost four years. I, I got hired to direct a pilot presentation for MTV. Um, and it was a single camera comedy um, starring these guys, Evan Mann and Gareth Reynolds. And the way that one came about is I had shot some stuff years earlier, met this other director named Todd Strauss-Schulson, who's like, a, you know, he does all, he does like movies and stuff now. Um, and then Todd was going to do a web series for this comedian, Dan Levy, but then Todd booked the Harold and Kumar Christmas movie. So he recommended- it's a good movie. Yeah, it's great. And then he recommended me to Dan. So then I shot this web series with Dan Levy for Comedy Central. Dan Levy of then, Howard Stern or? Dan Levy of, no, no, no. He's a um, comic and he's like a showrunner. That show Indebted is his show, the show that was just on uh, NBC. Um, but um, there's a few Dan Levy's in this industry. Uh, I'm thinking of Bob Levy. All right, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, but there are, there are at least one or two other Dan Levy's. It's very <laughs> strange because my buddy, I think, was first. Um, but anyway, so then Dan had me shoot the show and then Evan and Gareth were going to have Todd shoot their pilot and then he couldn't do it because of the movie and they were all on set together. And then Dan was like, you should hit up this guy Payman. And then it was just one of those nights where I was like, am I just going to like make unpaid sketches all the time? And then I got a Facebook message from Evan and I knew his videos and I was like, oh, that's that guy in those videos. And then he's like, hey, do you want to read the script? And I like loved it and met for it. And then I, it was supposed to be a long shot that I was going to get it. And even my agent and manager were like, well, I don't know if you're going to get this thing. <laughs> um, so I booked that. That got me into the DGA. It didn't get picked up. And then it was like every year I got, a, you know, like one thing, but then like three steps back. And one, but I kept, I saw the light at the end of the tunnel. I was just like, I just have to mm. keep making stuff. Yeah. So we're around 2011-ish. I wanted to ask you about something that Tommy Wiseau show. You've directed a few episodes of that, right? Yeah, the Tommy Wiseau show. No, I did the whole season. Yeah. Um, that one. The, the whole one like, <laughs> with him. Was, was, was he the boss on set or was he a hired actor? No, no, he was a hired actor. So he, so he at that time, I had done some branded stuff for these guys. Um, my buddy Brock Laborde was like the writer of these pieces. And then he, he made a, a short with Tommy Wiseau for Adam.com called The House That Drips Blood on Alex. And if you can find it, it's amazing. He's like, Tommy moves into this house and the house is like bleeding on him. <laughs> okay. Like it's, or if you like Tommy, it's great. Sounds ridiculous. <laughs> so, so he had a relationship with Tommy. He would talk to Tommy like, Tommy would call him like every day, like, what ideas do you have? Like, let's make the neighbors again. Like the project he was trying to, to, to yeah, um, he, he did that. Years. So then um, Brock's like, Hey, I pitched this show to Machinima and they wanted it. And Tommy's in, do you want to direct it? He knew I was a fan of the room. Like I would go to the monthly screenings every month for like two years. And, like, I was buying spoons and throwing them and like, <laughs> all the stuff. like, watching the DVD during the week, coming up with jokes to yell out and then testing them out when you go. Like, <laughs> okay. It was so fun. Um, and um, yeah, so then, so then we shot, I think we shot like four days over the course of like a month or so. 
Uh, Tommy's a fascinating guy. Actually man. working. That was cut off. Hello? Right. Oh, say that again. I, say it one more time. Me or what? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't hear you. You cut off. Okay, yeah. So I read the book, The uh, Disaster Artist, and uh, obviously the movie was about that book. But uh, like, so working with him on set was that, you know, the Tommy we all love from being the boss on set or like, how is his energy? No, I mean, look, he's, he's, he's pretty good. I will say he's a little resistant to being directed because I think he, in his mind, he, he wants to believe he's a director. Um, and you, we know now that there was other people doing the heavy lifting and but there's also no shame in that. It's crazy to, for anyone to just think they could just direct because they want to. Um, <laughs> and so he was like, like he would ask me for stuff and then, um, like there was a, he, by the way, never remembered my name. He would just call me, uh, Mr. Director. And he would go, Mr. Director, Mr. Director, what is the line? And I would tell him the line and then he'd go, okay, I got it. Like, as if I, <laughs> him, I was like, I answered your question, buddy. Like, what did you want? Um, so it was, it was fascinating. And then we had like, then he would do stuff where like, would say line and then we would throw the line at him and he would ke he kept flubbing it and flubbing it and flubbing it and then suddenly would do the whole scene without one flub and we were like what just happened because we shot almost the entire ser series line for line because he just couldn't retain anything mm. um i mean it was literally line read city um he was he was not i mean it wasn't like uh, me, I mean, he's a super nice guy. It was just that, you know, there's just, there's, there's certain limitations that were happening. But I will say one really funny thing that happened um, was we were shooting a scene at my buddy's house and he comes up to me while we're lighting and he goes, Mr. Director, what is the bathroom? And I was like, oh, it's through that kitchen. Uh, there's two little dogs in there, but they're super friendly. I just want you to know before you go in the kitchen. He goes, okay. He walks in and he opens the door and he goes, oh, hi, doggy. And I go, oh, and I start like looking around and nobody heard it. I was like, literally quotes himself from the room. What the hell was that? That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> like, I think he's seen it so many times that he just like, maybe just accidentally does that stuff. He's, he's uh, become that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I mean, it was, it, it was fun. I mean, as a fan of, 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 of him and the room, it was really great. And it was also... You know, it's a tricky balance because we wanted him to like know what we were doing, but also the nature of the show was not telling him anything in advance. Um, but it, so it was tricky. We didn't want to feel like we were exploiting him because he, we did like him. He was a nice guy. He's just like, you know, he just happens to be hilarious without trying to be. Yeah. Um, and then when he tries to be, it's even funnier. Um, so yeah, that was what, yeah, 2011. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, and I know you. I know you've worked on some some pretty awesome shows too, as well. Uh, Who is America is one of my favorite shows. I really love that show. How did you get involved in that? And uh, what was it like working with Sasha Baron Cohen? Like, how do you keep a straight face, man? Yeah. Okay. So I have to think about how I can answer this because I signed a pretty hefty NDA. Okay. Um, I can't talk about the process. I can tell you in general really? what he was like. Yeah, because this process is very much like you wouldn't want to give the process out because it's very specific and it's 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 brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. So the way that came about is um, 
when he was first developing it, he reached out um, or his producer reached out to my agent and was like, he, he knew, he knew that I had worked on Key and Peele. Um, I think he also met with, I, he met with a bunch of directors. He met with like a whole bunch of people that had done sketch that had been kind of known for sketch out here. Um, and, um, and I had actually met him like in 2009, he was looking for onset writers for Bruno and it was right, no, 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 sorry, 2007. It was right when I had signed with my agent and then they like got me and my buddy like a meeting with him where we pitched him a bunch of stuff and he remembered me from that meeting. Wow. And, um, I obviously didn't get that job, but you know, I was probably one of the only guys that looked like me that walked in. So he remembered me. And then, um, so then I went in to meet with him on this and I didn't know anything. I mean, it was literally like, there was a Sasha Baron Cohen project and I was like, okay. <laughs> and then uh, went and met with him and his producer and he kind of told me general idea of what they were looking for, but they were still like, it was very, it was still very loose. They were still shaping it. Um, I think I was at, at meeting with him for like maybe an hour and a half. And then he wanted to watch one of my sketches like right in front of me. Uh, and I was like, no, watch this later. <laughs> uh, and then the producer was like, you should watch this Key and Peele one. It was this one called Severed Head Warriors, which is a good sketch, but there's no, oh, yeah. there's no, there's no dialogue, right? There, yeah, there's no dialogue and there's no yeah. joke for the first like 80 seconds. So right. for 80 seconds, I'm just looking at the back of his laptop with just like him staring at his like, computer and I'm like oh my I'm watching a Sasha Baron Cohen reaction video <laughs> and then um slowly the jokes roll in and he starts nodding and he's like very good very good like it's like master um and his producer afterwards is like yo that means he loved it and I was like what that oh, means that's he cool. loved it? um so then he was like look I want to send you a doc and I want you to give me some notes come back next week and I went out of town that weekend and I went to open this doc thinking it was going to be like a five page thing. And it was on some cryptic website with the longest password I've ever put in. And it logged you out like every two minutes. Like even if you were active, it was a 43 page document. Wow. Uh, so I stayed up all night studying it. And well, what was it? It was just, it was, it was really, the show was still very hypothetical at that point. So it was like, you know, character breakdowns, concept things. We're t I'm thinking this, I'm thinking that. It was very, very, very loose. Um, and I think also he may have just wanted to test to see like, you know, am, am I going to come with ideas or thoughts? Because, you know, he has like, you know, he's got great, you know, he's fine. He doesn't need me or anybody. He's fine. So, um, so then I went back to meet with him and then I was with him for, I think, five hours on that second meeting. And, and I was pretty brutal in my notes. Um, Your was, notes of the 43 page document or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where I was okay. like, this is, you've done this before, you should combine these, whatever. I was like pretty militant. Um, and, then, and then time went on and, and it, it ended up just coming down to scheduling. Cause like, you know, they would ask me for dates, I was available, but then like, you know, whoever they wanted to get for a segment had to move, you know, it's, it was a very, it's a very difficult show to produce for a lot of reasons. So then I ended up not even being available until their final block. So then I came in to do the, um, the kindergartens one, the one where they give guns. It's all about yeah, giving guns to kids. That's one of the best ones. That's oh, a great one. Yeah, that's a great one. I did that one and the Roy Moore one. 
Um, the, Roy, the Roy Moore one is so, oh my God. That's my, I mean, look, visually it's just an interview. Yeah. It's like maybe the proudest moment I've ever had is like a person working at a comedy. So what I happens just, in that one? I just love it when he's like waving the wand and he calls his buddy over, oh, it must be defective. And then he comes back to him. He's like, well. Oh, it's crazy. It's so, so, it's so good. He basically is like talking to Roy Moore about like Israeli technology and then brings out this wand and says, oh, it used to, it can scan like, explosives it can scan like perspiration if you can tell someone is going to do something bad it can also detect if someone's been around a child and then he waves it in front of Roy Moore and it just starts beeping like crazy and then he goes no it's just glitching and every time he puts it back it keeps beeping and, and like you know it was I mean watching it at monitors you're like oh this is one of those classic bits he does like you're watching it and being like you don't even need to edit this right. uh, so yeah, I was only there for those those two. I was I was with them. Sorry, a little bit when they were developing. Um, they did some test stuff early on that I did some work on. But um, I'm trying. But to you only get you only get one take when you get like for like those people in there, right? So there's got to yeah. be tons of preparation. It's a lot of prep. Um, yeah, and like there's really you know because I you know I was obviously only there for a short time, but I got to know the crew really well and like the crew doesn't crack because you know, the pressure is so high. How can yeah. they not though? <laughs> like, I know you shouldn't, but like, even like once. I, you know what I think it is honestly, because I've tried to understand this a lot of times. Cause I'm, I, cause I went through the same, same question. I think it's because inherently we all have a fear of getting in trouble with authority. And I think there's a thing when he's interviewing Dick Cheney or Roy Moore, where you're like, all right, if I get in trouble, what does this look like? Like, what's the worst thing that could happen? So, and also like, I don't want to disappoint Sasha because he is, I mean, it's on him. We do all this preparation and then he's got one shot to get this right. right. Um, and he is, a, he is like one of the smartest human beings I've ever met. Like you seeing him, like he would anticipate things weeks in advance that would then end up happening. We'd be like, how did he know that was going to happen? Um, yeah that's crazy that's crazy because that kindergartens one like i mean there's a, there's you see a grown man holding a pistol that looks like a puppy and you're supposed to like oh this is totally serious you know what i mean like it's, it's just well, the fact that he took it so serious like he's yeah, like, yeah it's just like you know dude, it's crazy to me that dude was on board like <laughs> yeah. he, he told us he goes oh i was trying to pass a thing where we were going to legalize um like rifles for like 14 year olds man we got to get them to talk to you and we were like oh gosh <laughs> I was like we can't have that happen um so he came in like I mean there was a, I remember there was a bit when we were shooting where we were just like you know we gave him another prop because we wanted to get a shot with him with this other prop and then he would be like wait, wait wait we didn't do the safety thing so then he would show us how to do safety with this like stuffed animal toy and we're like dude he's just giving us gold like we didn't to any any of those people that say that he like like got, like made anybody say anything like i know the process of that show he doesn't make anyone say anything all he does is get people comfortable enough to say the things they actually believe mm -hmm. and like that's all it is like none of those people like none of those people ever say i don't believe that they go he tricked me into saying that so um yeah well, do, they, do you guys tell them it's a joke or indicator all it's a joke on them or do they leave set thinking everything went Okay. Um, I think it depends. I mean, honestly, I never dealt with the guests ever. Um, 
like there was other people that dealt with the guests like like we like the idea was that the guests couldn't see me if they right. saw me it would be like what the fuck is that brown boy doing in here <laughs> like so i had to like oh, i had to like i had to like literally be hidden away but they know but they know they're being filmed for a show though yes yes so but why can't they see the director because if the director looks like me, it, it's it's very suspect. Whoa. You don't look you don't look that like what? Just because you have darker skin? Yeah, yeah, man. You see the people they have on that show, on those shows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but that was I mean that could have also been us just being careful. But like they no one ever saw me, um, and I would just be you know somewhere else with a walkie-talkie talking to people on set if I needed something retake you know reset or something. Um, I don't know if I'm saying too much. I don't think I am. Um, and, uh, but yeah, there's just, it's, 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 I, you know, I always respected what he did, but after like seeing the process, like, dude, that dude's a legend, man. Yeah. <laughs> He's a freaking did, did you guys ever get any like kind of backlash after people actually saw it and saw what it was? Did you ever hear anything from other, from guests, previous guests or other people that worked on it? Well, I mean, I mean, I, I actually never saw the thing they shot with Sarah Palin. In fact, they ended up not airing it, but, but she complained. I mean, Roy Moore said he was suing Showtime for several million dollars. Um, but what are you going to do? You signed the thing. It doesn't matter. And also, like, if you try to battle a network like that, like, it's already aired. It did its job. So if you cost yeah. the network a little more money, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And as long as you signed a thing, you screwed up. Um, and Roy Moore is also like, an, like no one likes Roy Moore. Like, he's, <laughs> he's like a bad guy, like in every way. So there was like nothing more enjoyable than to ruin his Valentine's Day because we flew him and his wife out to DC and we shot that on Valentine's. Day. Oh, geez. So I guarantee well, hey, we ruined. Trump, Trump said, "You go out and vote for Roy Moore." <laughs> so exactly. I'll take, I'll take it, man. Yeah. <laughs> I just imagine that they had like a really tense dinner that night, and it makes me so happy. <laughs> that is very awkward yeah. she's like do you have something to tell me or no yeah. no she well she was she was in the building she wasn't she oh, didn't geez. know what was happening but yeah. i'm sure he told her as soon as he left because he left very upset very upset um, yeah, that, was, that was great yeah Man, that was fun i haven't thought about that in a while jeez <laughs> I have so many questions to ask you, um, but I don't, obviously we don't want to keep you too long, but um, real yeah. quick, cause it is, a, it is a big thing. Um, what was it like uh, getting involved with Keen Peel? Cause obviously those guys are like a staple mm -hmm. and you know, after Chappelle, <laughs> Keen Peel kind of became like this huge thing. You directed an um, Academy Award winning director. Right. <laughs> yeah. Actually, what was it like working with him? I did not. I would. I so weird. I never put that together. Like I know he won, but I was like, oh yeah, that that's crazy. That was like three. He years. was he was often directing himself on set. He's like, yeah, I got this, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, though, a lot of the uh, the writing that Jordan did was highly visual. So like, when I learned he was going to direct, I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense, and he's probably going to be really good at it. Um, like the same, you know, I thought the same thing. As soon as I heard Seth Rogen was going to direct, I was like, shit, he's going to be really good. And then we're not going to see him as an actor as much anymore. Because I know he's going to, and he does, he thrives as a director. He's so good as a director. Um, the way I got into Key and Peele was I'm, I'm good friends with Peter Atencio, who was the main director of that show for the, actually the whole run. Like he directed every frame of the first four seasons. And then 
in the last season, he brought me and this other directing duo, Fatal Farm, on uh, to do about a dozen sketches each. So Peter had always kind of planted a seed with me that was like, if I ever can't do them all, I'm going to bring you in. Um, That's awesome then, to have a friend like that. It was amazing because I like, you know, he showed me the pilot and I was like, oh my God, this is going to be such a big hit. I didn't think it was... Like, I didn't know a sketch show could be as big of a hit as it was. I didn't know they were going to win a Peabody and all that, but... I wrote it off. I thought, I was like, these guys were trying to be Chappelle show. Didn't give it a chance, right. but then I started watching it. I was oh, like, really? oh, this is really good. Yeah, that, well, this is good. It was, as soon as I saw the, um, the I Said Bitch sketch, I was like, dude, even if you guys don't get picked up, you have to put that online. This is like an all-time <laughs> top 10 sketch. Like, I still think it's top 10 ever. Um, I mean, it really is just a perfect sketch and it's executed so well. It's so subtle. It's so, it's so <laughs> oh my God, it's so subtle. And then as soon as, it's one of those that like, when you see, when you figure out what the game is, it's so fun. Cause you're like, all right, now where is this gonna go? Um, so I was already a fan. And then um, I, I, I have, at that time, me, Ke Keegan Jordan and Peter all had the same manager. And um, Peter, I think he wanted to see what my chemistry was going to be like with the guy. So they, they hired me to direct like an Air Jordan online branded sketch with Keegan and Jordan. Um, You're two loves, comedy and basketball. Yeah. And actually, Blake Griffin was going to be in the sketch originally. Nice. And, and then he got injured and then we lost him. Um, because Always it, happens to him. I know. And it had to do with like slam dunk. So like there's no way we could have made him do anything physical. Um and it's just those two guys like riffing, coming up with like crazy dunks that are impossible. Um, and we had like a really, really good time working together. And then like a year later, they had like three ads to shoot. One was this Pepsi one, one was for Xbox, one was for PlayStation. And they were all gonna air during Key and Peele. So the idea was it's on TV and you go, oh, this is another Key and Peele sketch. And then it's Comedy Central's way of going, fuck you, it's a commercial. Um, <laughs> which is how I feel about branded pieces. It's just a middle finger to the audience. That was like, ah, you thought this was comedy. Yeah. Um, I'm just selling you some garbage. Um, but we, we had so much fun on these shoots. And then I feel like that was like the last test of like, what is this chemistry going to be like? Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, and then at that point, I had just started working on Jimmy Kimmel Live, and I was on Kimmel for probably seven or eight months before Peter and I hung out one day, and then he was just like, hey, so I'm needed in post two days per week this fall. Do you want to come in and direct some sketches? And then I was like, oh, my God. And then that was it. And then, like, it didn't happen for, like, four or five months later, but it was literally just my buddy did a really nice thing and, like, brought me into my favorite sketch show. It was really good, good friend. Yeah, he's a good man. I learned a lot from him, man. I, I still do things that I learned from Peter. Um, uh, is uh, now when when you're working with Key and Peel, is for the most part everything they have scripted, or is there a lot of the improving a ton? There, there definitely was some improv, but a lot of it, interestingly, would be like like the week before shooting, like they would do rehearsals in the office where they're essentially just reading. But then it's just the two of them with. Um, like Peter and, and a couple of the other executive producers and they're working you know, it out. They'll get up and kind of act some things out. And then you'll just see them change a sketch and go, wait, 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 this doesn't feel right. What if it was this? And then, because on that show, at least in that last season, the season was written before they even went into 
uh, production, not even the season. There was a packet of like a hundred and something sketches written, done, submitted. And then they, Keegan, Jordan, the producers, Peter, and then me and the other directors all got, we got to chime in a little bit of like, these are the 60 something we're actually going to shoot. Are there any that we took out that you want? And they brought a couple back in that we wanted to shoot. Um, and so we, you would see stuff improvise and change before. And then on set, like, definitely like as you're going along, like, you know, those guys are just such great improvisers that they would come up with stuff and you would kind of know ahead of time when you would try to cross cover if you anticipated it. And then there's other times where you're like, we got to come back and get that angle again. Cause he just gave us gold on his back. So were, were you usually shooting with one camera or were you kind of having two just in case there is that improv you want you miss there was always two on that show minimum okay um i i i never used three but i think they used three on some of like the bigger group scenes um uh generally was not cross covered though we generally were directional it was like wider tighter in the same direction um but if we felt like the guys were gonna be riffing a lot like i never did one of the valet sketches but i know the valet sketches are three cameras like one on Keegan, one on Jordan, one wide, just knowing you're never going to get the same thing twice. And so much of that one was about them bouncing off each other that like you just, you, your editor would kill you. Um, uh, so yeah, so it was mainly directional. It wasn't, we didn't cross cover too much because the look of the show was so important. The lighting was so key that, um, yeah. yeah, they had to be really careful. But it was, I mean. Yeah, they make really cin- cinematic sketches, which is why I like them. Yeah. I mean, that was, you know, that's, that's Peter, man. That was Peter's, I mean, that was his whole pitch to them that every sketch should feel like the best scene of a movie pulled out. Mm. Uh, Where, you know, a lot of times like the joke was really the execution and like their performances were just so straight that it was like, you know, you'd be 20 seconds in the scene. You're like, oh, it's that scene in a horror movie. Okay. I know, I know what's going on now. I know what are the jokes going to be? Um, and you know, Peter was just a master at that stuff. He was, he was so, so gifted at knowing how things should work. Um, Um, maybe not with Comedy Central, but with like Jimmy Kimmel, did you ever feel too leashed, um, to appeal to those network standards, um, with comedy? Yeah, no, I mean, I didn't deal with it. The directors don't really deal with that too much on that show because like, you know, like most TV, the writer is God, but especially a show like that, because the writers are so plugged into Jimmy, um, but there was very little improv ever. But I know that there was like, you know, there was a lot of stuff that probably got pulled out. I ended up, a lot of the stuff I did on that show, especially early on, was that were their branded pieces because they were struggling finding someone that could like make these things funny, but also like please the clients because, you know, those clients are so wound up. Um, and I think they had gone through like a bunch of directors and then I went in and he just took a liking to me and then I just hung on. Um, I think we were pretty, it was pretty good. I think if anything, the issues were more the clients freaking out about, you know, the product not looking um, as good as it should. There's one we did years ago, Subway made this awful pizza called the Flat Tiza. I don't know if you guys remember this. Where it was just their flatbread, the flatbread that's in there that they make sandwiches in, and the marinara sauce that goes on their meatball sub, and then this, the uh, and then uh, and then the uh, Italian meats that go on the Italian meat sub, and the it's like so they had the stuff. They're like, let's just make pizza. Okay. <laughs> yes. and, um, and and so they wanted, so they came out with this thing, 
And, and the weird thing is, in the New York locations, they actually sold personal pizza. So they actually were competing against themselves. And like, they had two different types of pizza at Subway's. Um, and also, if you're in New York and you go to Subway for pizza, like... <laughs> right. It seems, seems a little weird. It's okay. 24 hours. Jump off a bridge immediately. <laughs> okay. uh, sorry, that was dark. Um, so so we, advice. we're doing this, this piece on, uh, or this, this bit on the Flatiza, and they, sub, by the way, I'll say this because I don't care. Subway executives are insane. They're like really difficult, like, which is hilarious because you're like, you guys just make like bad sandwiches that has like plastic in the bread. I'm sure so, they got a cover for Jared, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they have a great track record. You're right. Um, and uh, so we were shooting this thing and then, so they decided to have a food stylist come out. So it was like this sweet, like older couple and she had a little toaster oven and all her ingredients and so she's making it look as pretty as it is. And at one point I was like, I come over and I go, hey, so we're ready for the product shot. And then she like holds it up and I was like, Okay, uh, well, this is actually for the finished one. Do you guys have one of the finished ones? She goes, that is, that's the camera ready one. And it looked <laughs> so Awful. bad. Like, I, like where I was like, why didn't you just put more cheese on it? Like, if you <laughs> put more cheese on it, it'll look great. And like, and I even said, I'm like, do you think it needs more cheese? And the subway guy's like, no, that's the way we make it. And I was like, all right. Okay. I just, and I was like, I was trying to be nice, but I was like, I don't, I don't know that this is going to read the way you guys want to read on camera. And like, he was being a little passive aggressive. So anyways, um, we shoot it. It looks so gross on camera, especially <laughs> because it's like, it's just bad. It just looks like cardboard with like blood on it. Like it just doesn't look <laughs> like speckles of cheese. So comes, it comes to the night where we air it and we're showing it in front of a live audience. <laughs> and, it, and I'm in the green room just watching. I'm like, I know what's about to happen. And then... Yeah. It cuts to the insert shot, and the audience goes, oh! <laughs> and, like, everybody starts laughing. They thought we, like, they thought it was, like, the before picture. Like, we're trying to show you, like, oh, yeah. well, it was like this. And, like, and then it was, like, huge laugh, and, like, the subway executives were there, and they were not thrilled. Uh, and I'm just trying not to laugh, because I was like, you dummies. You, and there's nothing we can do at that point. You tried uh, to tell them, you know, what could you do? Tried to tell them. So that stuff, like, because I didn't have to deal with, I'm sure the writers deal with a lot more on that show. On my end, it was just dealing with, you know, ad people that were scared of their bosses. Um, but I loved working on that show, man. Jimmy is the freaking coolest boss. That, that dude rules. That guy's awesome. I, I didn't want to backtrack too much, but you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, we have a lot of filmmakers that listen to us, and we're also filmmakers, too. Um, how did you first initially get representation? Um, and cause you said you also shared a manager with uh, Key and Peele, right? Yeah. 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 So how did, how did it, for a director out there that's looking to try to get that done, what's the best avenue or did it just happen? It, I would say I'm, I'm hesitant to tell my story. I will tell it because it's one of those like annoying. So easy. It was, it just happened a little quickly. Um, but then what happened in the years after was kind of the lesson. But so basically for me, um, you know, I was doing all these shorts and sketches and, um, I had a relationship with the Newport beach film festival because I had a short in there in 05 and two of them in 06, one as a director, one as a producer. Um, and then in 07, 
my buddies and I convinced them to give us an entire shorts program. Like that was going to be mostly our stuff. And then I was like, dude, this YouTube website has all these really funny short films. Like your audience has probably never seen this stuff because YouTube had been out about like nine months at that point. And, um, so they gave us a program and one of the shorts that I found that a friend showed me unbeknownst to me ended up being made by one of Adam Sandler's nephews. And, hmm. and I didn't know he didn't have the same last name. He didn't, you know, I don't, I don't, no one told me that. So then, uh, but I knew that going into that festival that Sandler had seen the sketch that I shot with Nick Swartzen because Nick had told me and I was like, Adam Sandler saw a thing I shot on my DVX 100. What? And then, um, uh, and then we go to the screening for the festival and Adam showed up and he showed up yep. to support his nephew. And um, I went and introduced myself and he was really nice. And I was like, Hey, I just want you to know, I, I, you know, I'm the one that picked us short. And I did that one with Nick and he was like, Oh, he's like kind of piecing it all together. Um, and then I, you know, the next, and then he came up to me afterwards and said some like really, really sweet things where I was just like shaking while he was talking to me. Cause after, after watching your short, after watching eight of my short, okay, so it was like, he watched all these shorts and some of them I was in, some of them I was like just directing some I produced. Um, and uh, I'll never forget it. He was like, let me talk to you, man. I thought he left. I, I figured he left after his, um, his nephew's short and he walked up to me and he was like, let me talk to you. And he takes me aside. He goes, you're really good, buddy. You're really good. He goes, the writing, the directing, the cutting, like you're really good. And I was so scared uh, that all I said back to him was, thanks, man, you're good too. <laughs> like we were, like we were total same, like same level. Yeah, we're on the same level, man. Yeah. Like and he totally smirked because he knew I beefed it. And, yeah. um, and, then, uh, and then he was like, can you do a Palestinian accent? And I was like, I can learn one. Cause he had just seen me in a bunch of stuff and he was casting, you don't mess with, don't mess with Zohan. Zohan. And, yeah. And, a good um, one. and you know, this was, this was Oh seven. So like, you know, the, the Middle Eastern, you know, comedic voices that we know now, like weren't really out there. And he just saw this one guy over and over and over again. So I was like, I can try to learn one. He was like, all right, I'll have Nick call you. And then the next day his nephew called me that was like, hey dude, I have this idea for like a really sh quick sketch we could shoot before I go back home. Would you be down? I was like, sure. And I just got my camera and I went over there and we just started shooting this like weird sketch. And then we were just hanging out. And then he was just like, hey, my uncle's gonna come say bye to me. And I still didn't think it was Adam. I was like, God, he's got a lot of people that live in this city. Um, and then Sandler walked into this, gross house in Hollywood that these comedians lived in that was just like so filthy and he's holding his first daughter and she's like a baby and he's like honey this is how degenerates live uh, <laughs> and uh and the first thing he said to me was like hey payment I showed the website to everyone in the office everyone thinks you're really funny and I was like what like because I, I didn't give him anything like a card or I, any of that stuff and I was like oh that's crazy so then we just, he was there for probably like 20, 30 minutes. And I was somehow, I was just on fire making him laugh. And I just, I like, had never been possessed like this before. And, and I left and his nephew called me and he's like, yo, my uncle loves you. Like call his office. And then I get home and the head of development's like, we want you to come in for a meeting. So I like went in for a meeting and I'm like, I know three people in the city. 
And I'm like, what is happening? I remember pulling up to the gate and the guy thought I was a messenger and he was really rude to me until like the ticket printed and you realize that I was like a guest guest. And I was like, he was so funny. I was just over in one second. He was like, oh, sir, just pull up here and we'll go park your car. It's like pretty woman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then uh, I went into the office and it was just like, my comedy childhood was on the walls, man. It was like Farley yeah. and, and all those, like, you know, it was, it was kind of emotional. Cause like those, you know, Farley was like my guy. Um, and I met with the head of development who was Heather Perry at the time. And then at the end she was like you know Adam wants to say hi to you so I went down to talk to him for a bit and he's like oh, I want you to audition for this movie and then and then um he also wanted to talk to me about another movie and he, they were interested in me possibly directing the house bunny um mm. which he had done the most recent passive so I read it I was like yeah I'll direct a comedy like sure like at the that Adam Sandler like did anything on and we shoot at the playboy mansion like what like yeah. okay i'm gonna end up dying on set because this story never en ends well. <laughs> um and because i don't belong at the playboy mansion ever i should never be there um and uh so weeks go by and i i end up uh they send me the script for um for house bunny and i'm like what do you think i'm like i like it i think it's good yeah i never read a feature i was like wow they wrote a lot of pages <laughs> uh, and i was like there's like a whole story it's not just like one joke that it takes five minutes to like get to um and then they're like i'll never forget this heather was like all right great so you're gonna meet with us and doug belgrad at 11 tomorrow we'll see you then she hangs up i google him he was the head of columbia pictures Holy so shit. now i'm like now i'm terrified Cause I'm like, I don't know any, I don't even know what a production designer is. Honestly, I don't. So, cause I was just direct and hold boom and do all the things that we did. So I went in and met with the head of Columbia pictures. I didn't know what I was talking about. I was just, I don't did even you bring, know. What did, did you bring ideas or? Um, I told them how I related to the script, like why it connected to me and what I thought was funny about it. And then at the end, uh, Sandler's old partner, Jack Arapito, was like, Doug, tell Payman how he did in his first director meeting. I was like, don't do it with me here. Um, he's like, no, you did great. I know you're passionate. I know Adam loves you. Um, that holds a lot of weight here, but just don't be afraid to tear apart the script. And I was given the exact opposite advice the day before. My buddy's like, whatever you do, don't criticize the script. <laughs> right. And I should have, because I did. I had notes. Um, but I was also like terrified to say anything wrong. So right. um, we had that meeting and um, looking back, I was like, God, I really brought like nothing to that meeting. Um, and we were outside and Heather was like, who's your manager? Who's your agent? I was like, I don't have those things. Like you guys are now number four and five, the fourth and fifth <laughs> people I know in this city. And um, she was like, all right, great. I'm going to call the agencies. And Heather called all the major agencies and said, I want, you should sign this guy. Adam loves him. Wow. And then, so I was, you know, I had a buddy that I was making shorts with at that time. And I was like, well, my buddy and I like live together and we have plans. Like, if you sign me, you've got to sign my buddy. And they're like, we've seen his stuff too. He's great. Sure. Like, of course, because like, he was really talented. And, um, and then it just, we started having meetings and then it was like four, four months later, we ended up at UTA. Um, and, and I, and so there was, it was crazy. It was like, there was so many, like that first job I took, which made, paid like $350 a week, that one where we were recording. Stand-ups. I was burning, my savings were just burning away. 
I took this job that everyone told me not to take. I ended up meeting a guy who introduced me to Nick Swartzen. I did a short with Swartzen that Sandler saw. That guy I worked with is the one that showed me the short that Sandler's nephew made. And then that all led, like, it was just things that happened. Like, I yeah. didn't, I would, I, I really, in the, I don't know how this happened, except that I took this really bad job that I found on Craigslist. And then my gut told me, take this job. And, um, Craigslist, then, that's the way. But then, yeah, but then, but then what happened is I remember the first meeting at UTA, they're like, so what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to write and direct TV shows and movies. They're like, slow down. They're like, <laughs> right now, you make short films and sketches that are being seen online. There's a stigma attached. You're gonna, it's going to take you a long time to work out of that stigma. Um, we'll, you know, we'll send you places. We'll get you meetings. But like, this is going to, you know, there's still like a battle here. So um, I ultimately didn't get um, House Bunny because I think the studio came to their senses. And then um, I think also the budget went up and they were like, guys, what are we doing? Like, who is this guy? Uh, they made the right call. Like I would have done a bad job and I'm being honest, I would have done a bad job and I would have been in director jail and it probably would have killed my career. Mm. Um, and um, so then what happened is, you know, they sent us out on a bunch of, um, I got a manager through a friend at that point because I was like, hey, I have to figure out an agent. He's like, well, just sign with my manager. And then that manager was like, oh, you're talking to these agencies? Sure, I'll sign you. And then um, I went through a couple managers before I ended up with the, the guy with now, the one that uh, reps like Jordan and Peter. And, um, but then what I basically did was, okay, I, let me look at these guys' rosters. And I looked at their rosters and I was like, oh, wait, they're, re they're representing people that are like working like working in television and film. So why are they gonna, they can't force anyone to hire me. So they can't tell anyone, trust us, this guy, like we think he's gonna be good one day because you know, a, you know, a guy that makes a lot of money in our industry took a liking to him. Like that stuff could be a fluke. So I immediately just told myself, okay, just pretend you don't have an agent at all. And I never called them. All I ever did was if I had a sketch, I would send it to them. I would send links. Hey guys, just want to show you the new sketch just so they knew I was active. And I only hit them up if I wanted to pitch something, if I had an idea. But in general, I was like, I, I, can't, I, don't, I don't ever want to get to the point where I annoy these guys because I'm not making them any money. And I don't, I'm, I'm too easy to drop. They could drop me any day now. So the manager I always talk to, that's like you're supposed to. Your manager is kind of your personal contact. Um, and then was like, I'll just keep grinding until I earn this opportunity that I got way too early. Like, I know that I ended up where I ended up too early. And then I was like, determined to earn it after the fact, because I was like, there's no way I'm ready for this yet. And I can't, if they go get me some great job and I blow it, they look bad. I look bad. So like, just keep grinding. So I just kept grinding and like, I even knew they doubted me. I could see that. I could hear the doubt in their voices. Aww. And I was just like, whatever, man, I'm just going to keep like cranking away. And then like slowly year, year after year, I got a little closer, a little closer. And then I started proving myself. And then um, it kind of, you know, it did what it did. So like, I, I would, I always tell people like, don't, don't seek out, uh, representation um, from all the conversations I've had with people over the years. Um, your representatives are going to work a lot harder for you, especially in that honeymoon period, if they seek you out. If you go after them, 
they're just they're it's it's just it's a it's a weird part it's a weird way to go about that relationship also i don't i don't know that that works i don't know that sending a thing to a representative gets seen my guess is the assistant sees it and throws it away because they have so much to you know sift through um and and i'll even say to this day you know 90 percent of what i book to this day is based on my own relationships there's like 10 percent of the stuff like will get sent to me my agent or manager will send it to me and i'm like where did this come from like why do they, who are these people why do they reach out like that that stuff happens but for the most part it's like oh no i got I got Black Monday because I worked with those guys on Champagne Ill. Well, those guys knew me from that because of, and then it just kind of keeps going back. Word of mouth, yeah. Yeah, word of mouth. So, like, again, like, I had one of those whirlwind, crazy Hollywood beginnings, but then it screeched to a halt after a bunch of, like, general meetings where it was, like, cool to get validation in, like, a cool building. (laughs) Like, uh, it was this like water oh, free or do I get this? Did I get fruit too? Or yeah. You're like, what's going on? God, they give us waters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's cool. Oh. Uh, it was, mm-hmm. yeah. Like after that first round and then you're like, Oh, I, I very quickly was like, Oh, I'm not ready for this yet. Like I don't, I'm not at these people's level. I, I can't make a television show. I think I'm only now ready to make my own show. Um, do you still have that relationship with Adam? No, I mean, I haven't seen Adam Jeez, man, it's probably got to be at least six, seven years since I saw him. Um, I don't, I don't keep in contact with him, but like, if I ever run into him, like he's been so sweet to me. I know he, you know, he was keeping track of my work for years and um, I don't know if he knows what I'm up to now, but the last time I saw him, he was just walking by and I saw him at the Sony lot and he was like, Hey buddy, you lost what? You look good. Like that's all he said. <laughs> hey man, like, nice sweatpants. Um, and, <laughs> Sounds uh, like he was working on a movie line. Yeah. 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 Uh, but no, like I don't, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, yeah. My thing is always like, you know, I've gotten to meet a lot of cool people, but I only, you know, I'll hit them up if I have an idea, but if not, like, I don't want to, I don't, I feel like I'm bothering everybody when I reach out to them. So um, I'm sure there'll be a day. I, you know, in my back pocket, I have a dream of doing a dramedy where I can try to, you know, bring him in on some like crazy role, but, um, but we'll see. I think he's busy. He seems like a busy guy. <laughs> you know, one time we met, uh, Nick Schwartzen at, at Barney's Beanery and, uh, is there a lot? Yeah. Is his own stool? But uh, he said, uh, we're talking to him, and then he said he'd do our podcast. Then we texted him, like, the next time, and he was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting, like, dental work done. Then we just kind of got ghosted. He he always, yeah, ghosts us. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, shit, that sucks. You want me to call him? Actually, I've talked to Nick in a long time. Jeez. Um, No, you don't have to call him, but I appreciate that. Um, (laughs) Guys, I... He probably doesn't even have my number anymore, honestly. (laughs) Who is this? Oh, (laughs) I have one final question for Payman. Um, I don't know if you guys do, but uh, Payman, this is very specific. If you wanna, if you wanna call this question dumb, then please feel free. But like a lot, like most of our gigs, myself, Aaron, and Johnny are guest stars, co-stars on network shows or cable shows, and so we don't. Obviously, we connect with the director that day, but he's really has a relationship with the series regulars, right. like. Would it be inappropriate, like if I update my reel and I worked with this director 
for two days or maybe one day on a guest star type thing, is it inappropriate to like, hey, just send them like, hey, man, I uh, got this new credit, wanted yeah. you to know? If you've worked with that director, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like, you've already worked with them. Like, I just, I feel like if, like, I, if I get, if I get like a, something sent to me cold and I don't have a connection to the person, if it's difficult because I have like just an inner guilt that like if I don't give them the full attention, like I feel like I'm being a jerk. And also if I do it for this person, what if they tell their friend and then I get like more, I've had it where I'll give, mm -hmm. I'll give notes and then like I get sent with an onslaught and you start to feel bad. But like once you've like, once you've like worked with someone like, yeah, like all we want to do is work with the same people. Like, I don't think, there's any, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Okay. I, it, like, really, truly. Cause I feel like I've had people do that and I'm always like excited to see what they've been up to. But I'm talking about guest star. So it's like, Oh, he was there. No, for no, this. That's what I mean. Yeah. Okay. And I, I like, I personally, I love when I love the, like connecting with the guest stars when they come in because I feel for you all. Like that's not an easy gig. Like to come <laughs> yeah. in, you usually probably get the least amount of takes of everybody. And like, and it's usually you across from the star. And like, if you, you know, it, it, you're, it's already weird being an episodic director because you're the new kid at school for every two weeks. But to be a guest star, you're, you're the even newer kid because now I'm already like acclimated. I'm in the world. Yeah. And then you've already been hazed. You're in, you're in. Yeah, like I, you know, I, I, I won't mention the show, but I remember a show where we had this guest star on. He, this guy, he was doing, he was doing great. But when we were discussing notes, it just got quiet on set for a second. And I was looking at him in monitors and I was like, sorry, I got to give him a note now. He's getting insecure. And then I went up and he was totally rattled because he thought we were like, oh, we're, we're screwed. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And it got in his own head where we had to like, you know, I, I, pretended like we had a technical issue with a camera just so I could have a couple of minutes to just chat with him to calm him down. Um, and then he was fine, but I, man, I feel for guest stars. That's so hard. Cause you really get the least amount of takes always. There's usually like one round of coverage, two takes and the AD's like, we gotta go. Right. And then, and then that's it. Um, right, but cool. no, I, going back to your question, man, if you're a guest star and you've worked with a director, like I, I can't imagine a director would have an issue with that. And if so, screw that director. Yeah, guys <laughs> have like worked work together, man. Like, what the hell? Yeah, I, I remember. I remember one time I was uh, I did a guest star on NCIS, and on, on one of my last days there, the showrunner died. What? Yeah, and it oh. was the most it was the most awkward and craziest thing because they pulled everybody in offset, and they were like, "We have an announcement to make. Gary passed away. People are crying. Obviously, this guy's been there for years. You know what I mean?" Whoa. And then all of a sudden they're like, what do we do? Let's keep shooting guys. And so now I have to do a scene with the leads and they're all crying. And I'm like, I don't even know what to say. Cause I, I only met the guy one time, you know, it's, it was so awkward. It was so, it was so awkward. I was just like, I'm so sorry guys. I, you know, I don't know what else to say. What do you talk about like, a crafty? All right guys, yeah. let's, let's get the camera going. You know, it's, oh, it was so man. awkward. Yeah, because you also can't be the one to be like, all right, guys, let's just pull, let's get our bootstraps and we'll get it. <laughs> like, it's not going to work. Yeah, oh. it was so hard. It was so weird. Come on, guys, act like you've been here. Act like you've been here. <laughs> um, oh, that's so crazy. I can't believe you were there for that. Yeah, it was Ooh. really weird. It was really weird. Wow. Oh, my God. But anyway, the only other, the only other last question I have.
add real quick and because you, you kind of mentioned that you did this before do you think as a filmmaker it's still worth like going the festival route making your own stuff do you think it's still good to do that i think i think the key is always making your own stuff and and i think it's weird i to me it felt like the festival world like dipped a little bit in the like or like beginning of last decade like 2010s and i feel like in the last five years there's been like a resurgence um and I feel like eyes are now on festivals again. I think no matter what, um, my advice to any filmmaker is you have to make stuff constantly, whether you put it out or not, just to stay warm. You have to challenge yourself, try to make things that are different, but mainly try to focus on making things that are like as close as you can to the look and tone of the things that you want to do later, because the, the, the people that hire you are going to hire you for what you do. It's like, they rarely are going to take the, you know, the risk of imagination of going, well, I think they can probably also do this. So like, otherwise you, you know, you can, you can fall into something and then that's just what people think you can do where you're like, no, 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 no. I have this whole other style on my own. So I think as much as you can curate what you're making, um, for the projects that feed the soul, if you have to feed the belly, there's no selling out when you're trying to get work in this industry. It's, that's nonsense. Like the idea that somebody who, you know, who like is trying to make it as selling out, it to me is ridiculous. Like this is a system that we're trying to fit into. Like we don't, you don't make the rules until like you've earned that right. Um, so, you know, work on whatever you can work on, but on the side, like, make your own stuff and at this point like with the technology there's no excuse like you can i've seen really dope stuff shot on iphones and edited on iphones and ipads and all that like um i mean the stuff i see coming out now like the filmmakers are way more advanced than we were like all we did was write direct and edit now there's like people coming out that can do like vfx and all this other stuff I'm like we didn't know how to do any of this <laughs> stuff like you know like making their own music like we didn't do any of that stuff we didn't even shoot our own stuff so um yeah, I would say that number one is like keep making your stuff and festivals are, festivals are great, but I would, I would lean on, you know, festivals that are, that get attendance. Like don't just try to get into, um, an online festival. Yeah. Online, <laughs> yeah. Or like any random, like it, look, getting into festivals, it's great. Like it's really fun to do them in your hometown because obviously like your friends and family can show up and that stuff is good because it, it, that validation is like, you need that. Like I, I would heavily encourage people to submit to local ones, but then beyond that, you want to go to one, you want to send your stuff to festivals that are being looked at. So it's not really in the end, how many you went to, but like which festivals did you get into? Um, and, you know, it, it's not a bad idea to like reach out to the festivals too and ask them like, yo, what kind of stuff are you guys tired of seeing? Like, mm -hmm. The programmers see a lot of the same stuff over and over again. And the first short I ever got into festivals was this really weird short I made in college um, with a bizarre title. It's called Needle Anus. Uh, I wanted it's on to have, your website, right? It's on the website. It's, it's probably I'll the check oldest thing there. And it's basically the idea... The, the idea behind the idea was I was making fun of the, sh the dramatic short films that people at school were making where everybody 
was dying of a drug overdose. And someone, everyone's got, everyone, there's a, always a gunshot at the end and like this person can kill themselves. <laughs> a 20 year old is playing a 19 year old's dad. Like nobody was writing anything. <laughs> Where when you saw it on the screen, it was just absurd. And you're like, dude, like I know your life. You didn't live any of this stuff. Why are you telling these stories? So I just wanted to make um, like the most absurdly uh, pretentious short film ever that falls apart with the worst joke in the last 30 seconds. That's a, basically a prank on the audience. Um, I love it. I, have, I don't know if you get this Andy, Andy Coffin poster. Oh, nice. Oh, cool. It's been over my desk for like 20 something years, like wherever I've lived. Uh, the idea of playing a prank on the audience is so fun to me, but like that, that uh as that got into festivals the programmers would tell me they're like you have no idea how happy we were because you were making fun of the stuff that we were tired of watching every day over and over and mm -hmm. over again so like i found my my target market accidentally ended up being the people i needed to like it um so yeah it's always good to to talk to them and sometimes they'll give you waivers too if you can reach out to them because they're not cheap to submit to especially if you're like no. You know, when when I would submit to festivals, like I wasn't that savvy director who was going there with like a short film and a feature script ready to go. People would be like, so what are you doing after this? I was like, I don't know, probably another sketch. I don't know, something like I had no, I was just like, isn't it, but let's, wasn't that funny? Um, so, uh, uh, but then now, now I know like now, okay, you can go in there with a plan. You can have everything, every, you know, you can really use that as a step, but I think, it always comes down to making your own stuff. I feel like almost everybody, all the, almost anybody I know that's like out here working, like that's where they, they just started by doing stuff, just like jamming it in over and over again. Um, awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, Payman, dude, appreciate you coming on today. Uh, yeah. I, I, Thank it you. was great conversation. By the time this podcast airs, uh, Robbie will be out. It'll be streaming everywhere. Yes. Um, but other than that, where can our audience find you? Um, I mean, probably the most updated thing is probably my, my Twitter, uh, or my website, just payment bends, uh, P-A-Y-M-A-N. People normally do E-N. Um, the website I sometimes forget to update. So Twitter is probably the best one. Um, but yeah, just find me on there. Cool, man. And Ro Robbie's Aaron tonight, right? Or? Yeah, tonight at eleven yeah. forty-five. But by the time, you know, this is, this podcast right. isn't airing until next week. Right. Yeah. And all right. All over YouTube, hopefully. So every Thursday and on YouTube then on Comedy Central? Well, right. no, it'll be, so it'll be uh, tonight. The pilot will air tonight and then the entire season is going to be online tonight. Awesome. Okay, he cool. Mentioned, nice. He mentioned that at the top, Johnny, if you aren't listening. That's right. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wait, what, what was that? What was your name again? I'm sorry. It's, uh... Dude, is that a Seinfeld hat? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. How did I even get there? <laughs> Uh, all right. Hey, good night, everybody. Bye. Thanks a lot, Pam. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, guys. Take care. Uh, well, I we did I, it. I, I told Payman that he should stick around an extra minute. After I know we all. Oh, I know we we all did it well. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Great. I mean, we have nothing else to say, but really, thank you. It was uh, awesome having you on. Oh, for sure, man. No, it was really great talking to you guys.